The Self-Helpful Podcast is brought to you by Ziggler, your premier source for equipping life and leadership coaches. Visit Ziggler.com and let them inspire your true coaching performance. Welcome, everyone, and thanks for joining me as I talk with today's most important influencers, guides, and changemakers to uncover what truly drives them and extract the big takeaway from their personal journey and their greatest wisdom. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and this is Self-Helpful. We continue a special short series here on what drives you with some interesting people, people who got clear on what they wanted and why which is what creates authentic drive. That's the focus of my book, What Drives You. Here I bring you Jordan Harbinger. Jordan is podcasting royalty. He did not start out as a celebrity. He didn't have some best-selling book. He didn't grow a multi-million dollar business. He had a lonely childhood and ended up going to law school because his parents wanted him to. He got a job on Wall Street and realized progress and success was one with people skills. So instead of using that to become a Wall Street tycoon, he started burning CDs of what he learned and then progressed to early podcasting. Today, The Jordan Harbinger Show is one of the top podcasts on planet Earth. Uh, Jordan's just an incredibly insightful interviewer and doles out great guidance that you can use from his shows to get ahead in your life. In this conversation, I, of course, quiz him on what motivated him all along the way up until today. You'll hear some top rated business counsel on just keeping it simple, why he's bailed on social media and doing what gets the most impact. And you'll do yourself well to subscribe to The Jordan Harbinger Show. You can find it, of course, wherever you get your podcast. Here we go. All right. Last time we talked, you were not a father. Now things have changed. How old's, how old's baby Jaden? He is 18 months old yesterday. Oh, beautiful. So, okay. yeah. Walk in. Walking, yeah, for a while he's been walking, tries to talk, can say a few words, yeah. but not really, neither, none of them are mom and dad. Actually, I think he might be saying mom, but it's really hard to tell. Um, Either way, man, he just you're, you're, at the connect, animals. you're at the connection point, though, you know, where yes. he knows you, you know him, you get the response. It's just priceless. Just priceless. Yeah, I would say that that's accurate, right? Because he knows who I am, he gets excited, or he gets it upset scared if he knows you know like that i'm coming out to take him off of his toy train right. or whatever it is so there, there's quite a bit of there is quite a bit of that uh now and before it before he was just this newborn baby that like wanted to eat and sleep so it's it is a lot more fun now I, everybody who told me that was correct i you know i love it everybody ooze and ahs over the infant stages i didn't like them i had seven of them and i didn't really care for any of them it's when they develop their personality that's when that's when I get to connect. And on that, I was going to ask, you know, how has a father changed you? Everybody always asks that. But I saw an Instagram post from you as I was doing my research. And you said the gist was, uh, it's very important not to accidentally deprioritize yourself and your self-care. And you went on to say, and I appreciate this, the battleground of parenthood is littered with the souls of parents who meant well, but sacrificed themselves on the altar of their child and ended up a little or a lot bitter as a result. I'm not saying it won't happen to me, but if I can avoid becoming a shell of my former self while still making it back for bath time, then I think I'm doing pretty good. So that was 14 months ago. Mm. How you doing? I'm oh. feeling pretty good. I mean, my wife, on the other hand, so I'm getting a lot of time in with my 
son, yeah. which is great. And I can play with him every day, multiple times, you know, and, and he's got a lot of family around him and it's, it's great. It's really good. I would say that my self care is better than it's ever been because I have so much time at home and less travel. It's going to be more like, Oh, I have to fly to Florida tomorrow. I'll cancel my cancel everything, yeah. right? Cancel all my stuff that I do to take care of myself so I can sit on a plane. Yeah. It's, but it's curious. You came out with that of all the things as you're theorizing, ponderizing about, you know, fatherhood to go to say, I've seen a lot of people sacrifice themselves and alter their child because we do, we see people get people centric. It made me think about myself. My wife and I looked at that early on and said, we don't want to be those people either who are just their life becomes around their kid. And we said at mm -hmm. that point, we're going to be marriage centric. But now so many years later, I would say we've really come more to being, I'm not, this sounds bad, not individual centric, but we sometimes sacrificed ourselves even for the marriage. You go, no, I'm still a whole person over here. And I don't see it being done well, because then you go off that way too, and you're just an individual and you're not. So there's a balance there. So it's curious that you came out with that right at the outset of your parenting. Yeah, I can, I guess most people probably don't notice it until it happens to them. Yeah. And for me, I just saw a lot of people where they, when I had a kid, I was kind of thinking like, oh gosh, I hope I don't turn into one of these people. And I realized what it was because there were so many friends of mine that would go, Oh yeah, we have kids, so we don't do this. And are like, oh yeah, once we had kids, I gained thirty pounds. And I, I didn't want to be judgy and go, well, you should have done this. But then I realized that's the same person who they are eating McDonald's every day because their kids like it and it's fast and they're driving to soccer. And I was just like, you know, there's got to be a way around this. And there is. Um, it just takes more energy. And, and look, I only have one child, so maybe I should be careful in what I say here, but it takes more energy. And a lot of people, they, they take the past path of least resistance, which totally makes sense. Yeah. And so they go, us, ah, you know, forget it. I'm just going to go eat a Big Mac because I'm in the car and the other, then I got, otherwise I got to go home and make the food and da, 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 and get to the grocery store. So I understand why that becomes a habit, Yeah. but having one kid now, my wife and I are, are very much, it is stressful. There's a lot going on, but there's not that, there are very few times where we go, you know what, just send them to bed without a bath. You know what, we don't have time to make healthy food. Don't do it. You, you have to prioritize other things. Yeah. That said, we both work from home. So I get why people who have full-time, you know, dual parent working situations have a different scenario. So I, I'm trying yeah, not to yeah. be judgy here. You no, know what I mean? Well, no, well uh, so I'll, I'll join you in that. And yeah, with being grace, man, everything's relative, whether you have one kid or, you know, I have a yeah. uh, total with a couple adopted. I, I have nine uh, tonight. I'll have, yeah, that's a lot. I'll have five, six, seven, there'll be seven at the house uh, tonight, just cause we got them coming in and out, you know, from wherever they live and whatnot. And so as soon as we finish here, I'll be going to the grocery store, buying all of our whole foods and going home and Costco. <laughs> We don't have one up here, but I'll, okay. uh, I'll be cooking a, uh, a, a, an incredibly healthy meal. And yeah, I am so grateful Funny. to be self-employed. I, I don't know how I would do what I do yeah. uh, without that, but we all fill our time and we have important things that we do and we make our priorities though. So again, I appreciated you uh, pulling that out. And, you know, I generally stay fluid. Uh, you're an interviewee. I, I, I don't, 
interviewer. I don't like uh, interviewing interviewers. I feel self-conscious. And uh, you're really good. I'm judging you right I, now. I, want, I expect to be <laughs> judged and critiqued, and you can invoice yeah. me for that. Um, right. But as much as I like to be fluid, there's so many interesting things. And I've got, you know, I, I know you on a couple, you know, on the personal side and over here on the business side. I pulled that quote off of Instagram. And I happen to notice that you have 618,000 followers on Instagram. Sure. That makes sense. And you're not active. And yet, no. uh, yet Twitter, you've got 18.4 as of today, <laughs> thousand people and you're active. And as yeah. much as I want to talk about you, I mean, what you've done business-wise is so relevant. People know you as a podcaster. They're curious about what you've done. I talk about you. You don't know it, um, but I talk about you as a, really as a mentor. I look at what you're doing. I model I what you're that. doing. Well, well, you've done such a great job. So I'm curious about that. And I know a lot of people listening to this are podcasting. They want to podcast. So to build up that many people on Instagram and not use it, I'm curious as to why. Well, um, I think the reason that we built up Instagram initially was we, I start Instagram. I think I started on there in like 2017. So I was late to the party. So when I first got there, I thought, okay, I'll let it build organically. It built pretty slowly. Then I started to promote it on my podcast, which I guess I still do. And it grew really quickly and then I quickly realized that I don't care about Instagram or social media at all. And I, it, it was one, it's one of those things where in the past couple of years, I've been like, I dislike this and I don't want to do it anymore. And I don't even care how good it is for business. I won't do it because it's unhealthy. It would be kind of like if someone said, hey, you have to drink every night to do a really good show. And you'd go. I'm just going to not do that good of a show then. I'll do a good show, but not not the one where you need to drink a bottle of whiskey every night in order to be, you know, at your top peak. Not that that's a real life hack. No, don't try that. But uh, it, it felt like, oh, you've got to be on social media and you'll get so much attention. And then I looked at the things that were, quote unquote, working on social media. And it it ranged from, you know, dumb stunts to get people's attention to lying to people about contests that are fake or real contests where you're just bribing people with iPads to follow you who don't care about you at all. Yeah. Um, and then there's like the influencer mode where you're standing on a roof somewhere in Morocco and you're like, look at me, I'm fancy. And I thought, you know, these people are probably spending a lot of time doing that. And I've got friends who are really, really popular social media influencers. And I always go, Hey, how long does, how much do you work every day? And it's a lot. Yeah. And I, I thought to myself, Okay, so I'd have to literally spend hours or, or let's say days of the week or days of the month where all I'm doing is recording myself eating a freaking sandwich in an airport lounge and posting it as a video on Instagram or doing a photo shoot, which, by the way, I can't stand doing in the first place, doing a photo shoot with every guest that I have yeah. or going, like I said, standing on a roof in Morocco with a bunch of colors around me and being like, I live a magical life. And it's like you're doing that to make other people feel like they're missing out so that they follow you to fulfill that hole that you're putting in their psyche or soul. And then you're using it to sell them something. You're kind of a bastard. You know, yeah. um, that's what I think of those people. They don't think of it consciously like that. And so there's going to be people who go, oh, no, I didn't think about that. I'm just trying to be positive and inspirational. Hey, cool. I'm not judging you that way. But now that I've put those two and two together, I can't sort of unsee that and go, no, it's totally innocent of me to just post a bunch of vacation photos and be like, if you're not on the beach 24 seven, you're living life wrong. What? No. 
It's so interesting, Jordan, because I've been waffling on that. You know, you have somebody like Cal Newport on the show talking about digital yeah. minimalism and how it is wrecking our culture. And then I'm going to go off and use it to promote the show that he was on. Right. Okay. Well, that answered the question. Uh, so yeah. it's uh, it could be profitable, but you can make profit other places that you feel <laughs> of more value. Exactly. And the other thing is, look, I still answer my DMs on there. So yeah. those are the messages. So if a show fan follows me on there, I post funny stories on there where I'll be like, look at this guy's car license plate or look at this funny animal or this funny sign that I saw. And people like that. And I'll post stories of my new shows on there where I'll say, yeah. hey, this week we had Cal Newport. Here's how you find it. Yeah. But I, I don't do the lifestyle influencer stuff. And that's what turns out to be, quote unquote, effective on social media. So I never made a TikTok. Um, I, if I had a really, 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 really important thing, I might post it on Instagram. But when I stopped posting on Instagram, I also wasn't feeding trolls. I didn't have to reply to comments. Yeah. I, I had a lot less activity there. And I, I'm big on simplifying my life. Because going back to what we were saying before... There's only so many hours in the day, and my goal is when Jaden and my other kids, if I have any, are older, I don't want to be like, what I don't want to do, and I just saw this clear as day coming, is have my kids be like, Dad, can we watch a movie? And I'll be like, right there, son, answering comments underneath a photograph of me eating a sandwich at the airport lounge that I was in earlier this morning. Yeah. Like you're really just trading simplicity and free time for the ability to talk to a total stranger who says, yum, what is that pastrami? Who cares? Yeah. Like it's of no consequence. And all, all of it is ephemeral. I know people that remember Facebook pages. I'm sure you knew one or two people that spent, I knew people that spent hundreds of thousands sure. of dollars building Facebook pages only to one day wake up and have to spend tens of thousands of dollars every time they post. Otherwise it won't reach their audience. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it's a waste of time. You're building something in a walled garden that someone else controls. And at the end of the day, if you want to create really good podcasts, like I try to do on the Jordan Harbinger show, every, every minute I'm spending pose airbrushing a photograph of me on a beach is just taking away from that. No one in, in 30 years, my kids aren't going to go, you know what we should do? We should go through all of dad's tweets yeah. No, they're not going to do that. They're going to go, let's listen to the things he sat down and prepped and recorded those interesting conversations where he talks about his life. And, you know? and that's what I know you for is efficiency and impact. Uh, and, and I've modeled again, some things on the show because of what I've seen you do with that. You know, so I asked some background from your wife, Jen, and she said, yeah, speaking of uh, children, if, if you're going to have more that you were a board only child. And yeah, that sounds in, about right. <laughs> in your youth, you were tinkering with electronics radios and hacking things. I like yeah. to look at the threads. Do you feel like you're still doing that hacking things? Yes, I do. Because when people think hacking, if they don't really know what hacking is, they're kind of like, oh, that's when you break into a bank's computer system and you steal money. But for me, I was spending a lot of time being like, like on a payphone or something, I'd find a payphone at school. And during the lunch hour, when everybody else was having spitball contests, I'd be like, okay, you guys are idiots. I go in and mess with the payphone and I'd find tricks where I could call a certain number. And then there were a bunch of other teenagers on that same number talking. And it was free because it was some phone company thing mm -hmm. that was private, but that we had found it. 
And if you were smart enough to sort of follow the breadcrumb trail to find the secret number, you could join the conference. And on the conference, people were from all over the world. They were talking about really interesting things that they were doing. And I was like middle school or high school, you know, and I'm on, I, I'm in these internet chat rooms and things like that, that you have to kind of know where to look and know how to get in. And in the chat rooms, I remember distinctly, there was one example, this is in the early nineties. I think I was in middle school and I'd figured out how to get in there. And they were like, who's the new guy? And I was like, Oh, I'm just lurking. You know, I'm, I'm, I just found this. I just got in and they're like, that's cool, whatever. And then they turned back to their normal topic, which was, Okay, so what we're going to do is take down the phone lines in Iraq during the second part of the invasion. And I thought, wait, what are you guys talking about? You're not in the military. You'd be communicating on an encrypted channel. And they're like, no, we're just citizen hackers. And what we're going to do is take down the entire phone system in Iraq because it's controlled by MCI, which doesn't, I don't think, exist anymore, but is an American company in right. the 90s. And they were like, we have access to the MCI backend. And apparently, I don't really know the whole story, but there was something where like they figured that they would default to using the phone because, of course, we're taking out all the military communication systems. But I don't know if we took out the civilian communication systems. Right. So this group of guys in there with with some help from me because I did some social engineering, you know, over the next few days, we took down all of MCI's phone lines in Iraq. And I was like, this is cool. It's almost like I'm doing something important. Uh huh. How did that the crime? So hopefully the statute of limitations yeah, is run on that. I'm glad you got out of jail for that. How did that <laughs> line up with you've got a father who worked for 30 years for Ford? Yeah. I mean, he was pretty much like, why are you wasting your time? Nobody cares about computers. Uh -huh. And then my, my mom was like, Hey, these are probably the future. You know, that's why we got him one. We use them in school. And my dad's like, yeah, I mean, I know how to use a computer. Cause he knew how to, I don't know enter things on spreadsheets. Maybe I'm not even sure what he was doing. He had the green CRT monitor, you know, at Ford and, and then he's like, fine, but he made fun of me for it, but also cause he didn't understand it. Cause he's a, he was a mechanical engineer. So if the computer didn't work, he would just push the power button 70 times. Yeah. And that was his, and then he was out of ideas, you know, after that, plug it and plug it back Watching in. him put in 30 years at Ford though. Is that, how did that, was there ever a conscious thought that, man, I don't want to do that. I want to go a different direction. I want to be more entrepreneurial. Did it factor um, in? Not really in that, in, in that exact, not really in so many words. Basically what it was, it wasn't, so a lot of, a lot of younger entrepreneurs, they're like, oh man, I see how hard my parents work and I just don't want to do that to myself. I wasn't ever afraid of work. I just thought. I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon it really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous and I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. 
Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital, and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is, and Shopify is king in that department. They also have top-tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. You all know I greatly value and pursue my health and wellness, and I'm always looking for better products and resources. Nutritional supplements are a staple for me, and a must is a probiotic to support my gut health and function. A probiotic is something I've taken each and every day for the long-term cumulative benefits. Seed is a company that makes a symbiotic, which is actually a unique mix of probiotics and prebiotics. Probiotics are beneficial bacteria and prebiotics are food for these bacteria. So seeds symbiotic containing both helps balance my gut bacteria. So together the seed DSO1 symbiotic benefits my gut, skin, and heart health in just two little capsules a day. Taking seeds, DSO1 symbiotic, and avoiding the foods I know my body is sensitive to has taken me from constant digestive problems to almost none. I trust seeds clinical trials and breakthrough research that's been published in top scientific journals. You can entrust your gut with Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash drive and use code 25DRIVE to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash drive, code 25DRIVE. that there were so many interesting things, but none of them were jobs that I knew existed. Because when you're, when you're young, you think, okay, jobs I know. Whatever your mom does, whatever your dad does, maybe you don't even understand that, but you know about it. Yeah. Policeman, fireman, nurse, doctor, army. Or, and then maybe there's like a few others that I'm not teacher, right? And then you get to high school and your job, the list of careers you understand has expanded to, from those people to some of the things your friends' parents do and, and, and no further. Mm -hmm. And then you get to college and it's exactly the same. And I just remember thinking like, I'm in trouble because a lot of my friends are like, oh yeah, I'm going to be an attorney. Oh yeah, I'm going to be a doctor. And I was like, I'm probably unemployable, <laughs> you know? And little did I know that all the things I was doing were well suited to engineering and problem solving. So when I, and I always had side hustles going. So I just thought, okay, I'm going to get a job and it's going to be fine, but I just don't know what it is. And I'll just deal with it until I figure out what I really want to do. And that's, that's why I became an attorney originally. But, um, there was a lot of sort of 
parent, not paranoia, but like maybe paranoia that I was unemployable. And so I had a lot of side hustles going, like I would sell fireworks and I, I figured out how to use the internet really early in my life, as we just talked about. And friends of mine whose dads were like stockbrokers, they were getting fax updates once a day or something like that, or they'd have to call a phone number to get a stock quote. And what I could do is go on the internet, pr print off, I don't think it was Bloomberg at the time, but it was something along those lines, some online stock thing. And I could bring it to the office and he'd be like, great, here's a hundred bucks. And I could do that every week and make way more money than anybody else who had a paper route and was earning 20 to 40 bucks a week. And or what whatever was the was. motive? What was the motive? You, you mentioned the side hustles a couple of times. What was the motive? Was it just something to do? Was it curiosity? Was it money? Yeah, you were looking to it, make some cash? It was something to do. I didn't really need any money. Like my parents were fine, but I, I mean, I, I liked having money because I could buy stuff, of course, but it, it was the money made it exciting, but I was bored all the time. You know, I, I watched t so much TV as a kid that it, and I was clearly like getting depressed from watching all the TV, but I didn't have brothers or sisters. I lived in Michigan. So like during the summer months, I'd get together with friends. I'd be biking around. But during fall and winter and half of spring in Michigan, it's like rainy and cold. So you're stuck inside. There's there's nothing on because we didn't have cable. So I'm watching like grainy Canadian cartoons, you know, with the static over it. And then I got a computer and I got the internet and I was like, holy schmoly, there is a whole universe out there that literally is global. No one knows how to use this that I know. And it's infinite. There's chats from people with all over the world. There's hackers, there's criminals, there's people who like taking apart cell phones, there, which I got into. There's people that sell things, there's people that buy things, there's people that do their jobs online and they create libraries and every bit of information. Like, think about this. You're 14 years old, Google doesn't exist, and suddenly you find a way to go online and search for things. It wasn't quite like Google, but there were things like Gopher, you could access a library, you could ask, there was things where you could ask librarians questions and they would look it up for you and tell you. And I was on there all day. And they were university services. Like, the, you know, they probably think of a professor, adjunct professor at Emory University. And I'm like a 13, 14 year old kid being like, okay, uh, why are hot things different colors? And they'd be like, oh, uh, let me find that for you, you know, stuff like that. And I would do that all day long because the alternative was go watch Mighty Mouse with static behind it yeah. in French on TV or. Uh, maybe go ahead and look at those math problems I finished within 10 minutes of getting home, you know, or go outside and hang out by myself. So it, it was really like not a hard choice. And then I got so interested, I started skipping school. And that's when I started to get really kind of like buried in the internet, you know? Okay. So that trajectory, that, and feeling like maybe you're unemployable and you've got these side hustles going on, you end up going to law school. Yeah. Uh, how does that, that, that wouldn't be the translation of the path that I would well, actually before that you went to Germany. What it was a year? Uh, yeah, it was a year. So what happened was I was, I was dating this girl, whatever you want to call it in high school, you know, hanging out with all of our friends sitting on the same couch next to each other, going, I think is what going steady was, or something going like steady yes. pretty much like, you know, Oh, we rented a movie with 12 people. Why don't you come over? Cool. I'm not sure what that makes, if that makes me special somehow, but who cares? It doesn't, you know, so I did that. I went to visit her a bunch, um, at her house and things like that. And she had a friend who was like an exchange student from Norway. And 
that girl went to our school and I just don't remember her from school at all. But she like she was the exchange student daughter or, or sister of one of the girls in my school who was part of her social circle. And my friends and I, I had a car. So our nights consisted of drive around to this one parking lot where everyone hangs out and do nothing. Drive around to this other parking lot where there's a drugstore, even though we don't have any money and like see who's there. I mean, we were so bored. My friends were fine with it. And I remember thinking I'm in trouble because everything we do is so boring, but I seem to be the only person who is bored. Hmm. And that is a huge red flag. And then I realized that some of my other friends were bored and what they started doing was drugs. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to pass on doing what I see the guy who sleeps in the parking lot doing, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so I told my girlfriend this, at the, the girlfriend uh, at the time. And she goes, you know, you should just go somewhere else because I'm moving. And I said, what do you mean you're moving? And she goes, you know, this is kind of how it came up because she was going to tell me she was moving. She goes, I'm going to a boarding school uh, overseas in Europe. And I said, why? And she goes, well, have you seen my home life? And also the same reasons you're telling me now. Yeah. Uh, I'm in a car that I can't even drive going to different parking lots to see who's around and it's too cold to open the windows. And then I come home and I do my homework and I go to bed and it happens for the, ne this is the next five years of our life or something, you know? And I was like, yeah, you're right. So she, she said, you know, you should try and leave. And I was like, my parents aren't just going to, she was wealthy. Her mother was like a Senator or something. My parents, my dad was an auto worker. My mom's a teacher. I was like, I don't think they can afford to fly me to Norway or whatever to go to boarding school for uh, three years. <laughs> you know, it's like not going to happen. So she said, just become an exchange student like the girl, like the other girl, Jane, whatever her name was. And I said, oh, how do I do that? She goes, oh, you, here's the organization that does it. Uh, my mom has a brochure somewhere. Let me get you the phone number. She got me the phone number. I called, got another brochure. And I was like, mom, can I do this? And my mom's like, huh, your friends are getting in trouble for drugs and you want to go be an exchange student and be away from these candidly losers right. for the next few years uh, for the next year, your senior year. Yeah. Uh, let's do this. Let's figure out how to do this. So I went to Germany and it was awesome because as you probably know, in Europe, they treat young people like they're not total idiots that could kill themselves at any moment. Yeah. And it turned and they're better educated over there, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. So what that means is I show up and they're like, do you want to drink wine? By the way, don't get too drunk. It's bad for you. And I was like, oh, this is how normal re responsible parenting looks, not just go to college and like try not to die. And, and that to me was interesting because I grew up like three years during the year that I was there. So what was the influence from that? Is there anything there that was part of the trajectory to end up going towards law school? No, no, no. Law school was one of these things where I came back from Germany. I went to college. It was kind of more of the same. Everyone was really immature. It was like high school 2.0, but not Germany high school. It was like American high school 2.0. So I'm, I'm in Germany and I'm with all these like really mature, cool people. I was in the former East Germany as former communist uh, area. So I learned German really well. No one spoke English. Very few people spoke English. I did all kinds of cool trips and travel around Europe, like with friends you know, I'd have buddies that would go like, Hey, we're going to Italy for the winter break. Do you want to come? And I'd be like, let me find out how I could possibly go with five dudes and five girls to Italy. Yeah. And I would just ask, and the, my host parents would be like, yeah, that sounds great. Um, where are you going? Oh, we're going to Milan. 
Cool. Uh, well, just let us know the phone number of where you're staying. Here's our cell phone. Take it in case you need. And I'm thinking this would never try telling your mom, hey, mom, uh, spring break. Uh, I'm 16. I'm going to go ahead and go to Mexico mm-hmm. by myself with my dumb friends who you like, you know, have bailed out of jail twice already. No, never. But in in Europe, the, the people were like more able to. They were more mature. They were more mature mature in every way. And so then I come back and I go to American college. I went to the University of Michigan, which has like a big Greek scene, which I didn't know was a thing until I got there. Uh, And it was just like keg stands and dumb, dumb stuff again. And I thought, oh, well, I'm just going to study hard. And then, you know, they make you declare a major and you just pull something out of the air. And then as you're trying to figure out your career, your whole family's asking you over and over and over. And people just kept saying, you should be a lawyer. You should be a lawyer. You should be a lawyer. Now, you should never listen to anyone who tells you what you should do for a career if they don't or haven't in the past had that career. Because 2020 hindsight, I'm looking at like, who told me that? Oh, my aunt, who's a gym teacher. Uh Well, what does she know about attorneys? Literally nothing other than what she's seen on law and order. So when I've asked her years later, why she said that she's like, Oh, just because, you know, you, I feel like you're always arguing. And I'm like, that's not even true. Also attorneys do that 1% of their time, you know? And, and so none of it made any sense or another aunt who told me to be a lawyer. I said, why did you say that? And she goes, well, the, the neighbor, he's a lawyer and he makes good money. He has a fishing boat. And it's just like, oh my God, I wish I'd asked these clarifying questions earlier. And I would have realized you're morons, you know, like no offense, Aunt Susie, but like, what are you talking about? Well, you've got two professions, uh, pastors and lawyers, two of the top that go into those pursuits for the wrong reasons. Lawyer, it's fancy, it makes money, it's got some status and whatnot, yeah. and then they end up in a space that has no fitting for them. So you go there, though. You go there, you do it. You come out mm-hmm. with a law degree. I saw one of your uh, one of your posts somewhere was you're a recovering lawyer. Yeah, uh, I'm still an attorney. I'm you know I'm licensed in New York. I worked on Wall Street. I practiced for a while. I did finance law, and the plan was. Okay, if I'm going to become a lawyer and I don't really know what I want to do, I'm just going to take the job that pays the most and stay there until I decide I found something else. Yeah. So I took a real estate finance job and I'm glad that I did because it was just boring enough that I didn't want to stay there. But if I'd taken, I feel like if I'd taken a job doing something really interesting, there's a really good chance I would have been an attorney still. You know, I would have been like, oh my gosh, I really do like getting people out of prison who've confessed to something they didn't do. Yeah. Uh, oh, I really love investigating forensic, you know, something, something, you know, you just never know. But I knew that no one was going to, I was never going to go, wow, you know, real estate finance and corporate litigation is in securitizing subprime mortgage pools. This is what I was born to do. Fast. I was never going to do that. Right. So I knew that there was no danger of me getting stuck there. I would just get paid until I got fired or decided that, you know, this is gross. I'm done. And then I'd walk away with a grip of cash. So you are getting interest or I don't know which came first. You ended up with a mentor, Dave. Kinda. Kinda. Yeah. Tell yeah, me what happened he with Dave. Yeah. Not much of a mentor. So he was a guy who hired me. Nice guy, whatever. But, um, you know, I knew that everyone who worked on, on this at this law firm was really smart. And I thought I was kind of smart, but not as smart as them. And I knew that everybody worked really hard and I worked really hard, but probably not as hard as all of them necessarily, or at least it was only as hard as them. So I was like, oh, I have no 
competitive advantage. You know, I can't come in and be like smart guy in the room. I can't just, and, and I, I was used to that. I'm no genius by any chance, but when I face people that are smarter than me, I usually just outwork them. Same, same thing right now. I'm outworking a lot of people in my own field. So I decided that I would do that on wall street. Neither of those things were an option because everybody basically did the same thing. And, uh, Dave was never in the office and I thought he must be working from home. And I thought that has got to be a great way to maintain a low profile and not get fired while I figure out how to really excel at this law firm. So I talked to him and I asked him how he works from home and why he works from home and you know what the trick is to working from home. And he said, well, I only work from home occasionally, but the reason I'm never in the office is because I'm bringing in business for the firm. And I thought that was interesting because I'd never heard of that. You know, I guess I just assumed that people looked in the yellow pages or something and went like, oh, law firms that do secure. You know, I didn't I don't I had no idea how business was generated. I actually figured maybe we had a sales team somewhere on the, you know, 15th floor that did calls. What do I know? You know, and he said, no, you know, I'm. I'm out of the office going on a cruise, going to jujitsu, going to play golf, going to do cycling, jogging, whatever, when our clients invite me to. Because if I can get a million dollar law deal four times a year, I don't care about hitting my billable hourly bonus. You know, what am I going to do? I'm going to get an extra 30 grand for that. I get an extra 130 grand for bringing in four deals a year. And I'm a partner and I'm 36, you know, or whatever, however old he was, 39. So that was like, oh, that to me was like a ding light bulb moment because I thought this is the new competitive advantage that I can learn how to build. And while I learn how to build this, everyone else is going to be heads down, just doing their work, has no idea that I'm building this advantage. And by the time they're like a fifth or six year associate and someone's like, well, if you really want to make partner, you got to learn how to bring in business. They'll go, how do I do that? And I'll be like, I've got five years, six years, seven years where I've been working on this and you all have slept on it. So I really sort of focused on that. Because I thought, I I thought really this is like my secret weapon. This is the secret third path that no one knows how to do because we were never taught networking and relationship development. So if I work on this, by the time everyone else realizes that they need to do this too, they will be hope, literally they will be hopelessly far behind and they will have no real chance of catching up to me in great numbers, which means that eventually I will pass them. So, you know, that, that was a long-term strategy. Initially you took that into your work. So your focus is I'm going to take this into the work. I'm going to kick butt there, but you jumped out and decided to take that also into early podcasting. Why? Yeah. Why? So I was teaching the networking stuff to people that I knew I was, you know, I was learning everything I could from like, I was taking like Dale Carnegie classes and I was taking sales classes and I was taking all these courses on building Well, it was mostly building relationships type stuff, but it was all pieced together very bizarrely because I take a Dale Carnegie class, but like 80% of that was giving speeches and learning how to remember people's names. And then I take a sales class and it was good, but it wasn't amazing. And it wasn't applied to law. It was like, you know, me and a bunch of used car salesmen wannabes that were kind of like, how do I get people to buy things? You know? And I, I thought like, this isn't advanced enough. And that's kind of when I realized that if I'm going to learn how to bring in a million dollar law deal from Goldman Sachs every quarter, I'm not going to learn it from a guy wearing a sweater vest that teaches Tuesday nights at the learning annex because he's never even been in that environment in his whole life, let alone successful in it. 
um, there's a reason yeah. that a lot of those guys, and I don't mean to throw shade, but there's a reason that a lot of guys who teach those classes, they've never done anything like this. They, yeah. they, they're guys who, you know, write self-help books or something like that. Again, nothing wrong with it, but like, well, you're, you're part of the Ziegler clan. I mean, that guy knew how to sell, yeah. but a lot of guys who teach sales, they couldn't sell their way out of a wet paper bag. They just read Zig Ziglar's book and they're like, here's a poster. Yeah. You know, like that's all they got. And I experienced a lot of that. And I really decided to go back to, I guess what you'd call first principles where it's like, if I have to be outgoing and charismatic, what do I notice about outgoing and charismatic people? The way that they talk non-verbally, their speech patterns. So I took voice lessons. I took, I learned about body language, persuasion, influence, everything from like stupid hypnosis stuff that was definitely just fake pseudoscience, all the way to, like I said, voice lessons from somebody. And I was like, I want my voice to sound more dynamic and interesting and attractive and be heard over loud noise and music. And I worked on that for a long time. And that's the stuff that I started to piece together. And that's the stuff that got interested, uh, got people on the internet interested in what I was doing. And that's one of the reasons that I started the podcast because I started teaching it at law school. People got interested. I burned it all to CDs. I was giving away a lot of CDs. And then I found podcasting and I was like, this is the way to distribute these lectures that I'm giving on the internet. And then, you know, 14 years later, here we are. Podcasting is a thing. I guess I'm pretty lucky there. You have done well. I mean, since the day that we met, which is probably, and to mm. me, you were the modern day, how to win friends and influence people, persuasion. Uh, that word, I, I love that. I know that gets a lot of uh, baggage, you know, negative sure. baggage, sometimes, but it's it's great. We are all being persuaded. So if we can help persuade for good, then and that, that back to Ziegler, you know, sales is a, a moral and an ethical thing done well. And it's to help persuade yeah. people towards something that's going to benefit them. And that's what I saw with you. And you came in and yeah, I know initially it was uh, kind of a, a dating focus. When I met you, you were really coming out of that. I think even when mm -hmm. we, you were first on the show, you said, well, let's not talk about that because you were yeah. working with, it was a per bigger personal development focus than coming out of dating, but that's a great training ground for anybody to, it was how to win friends and influence people. Yeah, it was. I mean, I started off teaching networking people were less interested in networking than they were the dating elements of body language and charisma. So then I started, I basically dating was like the cheese that you could put on the broccoli to get the kid to eat it. Huh. You know, cause if I say like, Hey, if I teach you how to create and build relationships, uh, that long-term will help you get the career that you want and the salary that you want. If you're 25 years old, you're like, I don't care. What are you talking about? Jordan, you sound boring next. Yeah. But if I say, Hey, I'm going to improve your dating life. Guys are like, okay, I'm listening. I'm in. Yeah. How much does it cost? Yeah. Right. Where can I learn this immediately? And with as much expediency as possible. But yeah, I remember thinking, I remember a friend of mine said, networking's kind of for old people. And I went, gosh, so many people think that. And then when I started teaching dating, it was just like, people were like, take my money. You know, I'm mailing you an envelope full of cash, that kind of thing. And it was just like, okay. I'm printing money. So then when I came out of the dating thing, it was me having learned that I don't need the cheese on the broccoli anymore. And then eventually splitting from that, you know, I'm 40 now. So th there was a nice sweet spot where we made a bunch of money doing it and helped a bunch of people. But there's something extra pathetic about being like a 40 year old dating coach for 23 year old <laughs> men, you know? <laughs> True. So...
most of today, you will be indoors, likely your home or your office. I am as well. Even with my treks out into the woods, I spend a lot of time inside. And we're going to think about 20,000 breaths. According to the EPA, the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air, sometimes up to a hundred times more polluted. At my studio, we have heat being forced through old ducts. I walk on carpet full of years of junk. No idea what's floating in the air that I'm taking constant gulps of. The solution is an air purifier and Air Doctor is just the best. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold, bacteria, viruses. They do it so your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code KEVIN, and depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. So to get this special offer, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com Use promo code Kevin, airdoctorpro.com, promo code Kevin. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. So my book and this podcast are named What Drives You. And what drives us, the great things, is our own values, our known values. When we go astray, it's because we've lost sight of our values. Therapy is key for helping you clarify what matters most to you so you can do more of it. I was late to taking advantage of therapy. It was only for crisis, but now myself and most of the rock stars I have on my show get therapy regularly. For most people, the main hurdle is starting therapy. I recommend you try BetterHelp. It's entirely online. It's flexible. It's suited to your schedule. And trying it doesn't involve an afternoon of your time and all the hassle. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can switch therapist anytime, no additional charge. You can learn to make time for what is most valuable to you. So visit BetterHelp.com slash what drives you today. You get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash what drives you. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You're getting paid initially. And of course that always feels good and affirming for all of us. And people are listening to you. Do you remember the first time or the first times that segment of time when you realized, man, I'm, I'm helping somebody who was in want, they were in maybe even pain and not succeeding. And I helped and you got that testimony. And is that along with the spark of realizing I, I want to do this because you, I don't know what the span of time, but you, you know, started doing this and then went full time. So you left lawyering to go after this full time. What was the span of time? I was a lawyer for about two years. And I'd been doing my podcast at that point for before law, like, I don't know, six or seven months, maybe. And then all through my law career. And I was on Sirius XM satellite radio as well. That was kind of a cool, lucky break. And then when I quit law, 
slash, well, I'm technically, I, well, I technically quit, but they were going to lay off everyone due to the economic downturn. And I just said, give me a severance and I'm out. You know, you don't have to, let's not make this any more awkward than it needs to be. Send me a check, that kind of thing. And they laid off 63 of us or 62 of us. They they gave us like a year's severance. So it was great because I basically founded the startup and was giving it the go while also getting paid full salary and benefits at a Wall Street law firm. You, you, wow. l- looking back, I'm like, you never get that opportunity ever in your life. And I remember at the time going, this is not something I want to squander screwing around in, in Manhattan. Yeah. You know, like I could easily just run around, spend money, live it up, and then I'd be in trouble. But I went, how often am I going to get funded to live a really nice life and have a bunch of money left over to invest in a business that I'm starting? Where I have like nine months of guaranteed funding from a company, that that was an incredible, incredible opportunity. So I basically can't complain about that firm. You know, they eventually went out of business, but I, I'm very thankful for the I don't know hundred and eighty thousand dollars they invested in my original company yeah. by paying me. Well, even in hearing you talk about social, uh, you know, social, social networking and all this stuff and and the entertainment and the waste of time and whatever. And you want to be over here and have some, you know, positive impact. Again, I heard that from you day one. That's why you came on, you know, the Ziegler show, but we are, we are doing podcasting. People do want to hear things. I mean, your shows are really interesting. Uh, Thank you. I used to push back on that and say, look, I want to help people change. I don't want to be positive entertainment. And then to come over here and to hear some of my shows, I've got a new one now that I do with a co-host and half the testimonials are, I just like to hear you guys talk. It's fun. Oh yeah. Yeah. And and at first I was, I was disappointed, but I thought, well, gosh, if that helps people engage. It does. So today, I mean, do you consider yourself, what do you consider? What what are you? Are you a personal development guy? What do you tell people? "Ah, This is what it's a podcast. Mm. Oh, what, what is it? Is it, you know, crime? Is it what? No, it's X. What is it? Yeah. I definitely don't consider myself into like personal development or or self-help, but I am, but I don't brand that way, I guess you should say, I would say. That's what I'm asking, yeah. Yeah, I, I basically just say, hey, I'm an interviewer because it's hard to say, yeah, I'm into personal growth and self-development. Oh, by the way, my last guest was a mafia hitman from the, <laughs> from the Colombo right, right. family. But other than that, and other than the other, you know, true crime or whatever shows that I've done, you know, like the latest, I just basically had to brand as an interviewer that was big on educating the audience, right? Because otherwise, how am I going to even put these people in a box? You know, I had Steve Madden, who created the shoe company, come on and tell his crazy story and about creativity. Before that, I had the former CIA director, John Brennan. I've had brain scientists on. I've had Ray Dalio, the... Yeah. The... You know, investor, yeah. investor principles, Kobe Bryant, Danny Trejo, Malcolm Gladwell, Dennis Rodman, you know, Mark Cuban, HR McMaster. So it's kind of hard to like put everything in a box. So I'm, I'm kind of like, it's, it's not the news. So it's not that either, but I'm kind of a journalist, but also the point is to educate people. So yeah. it's, I'm kind of like, you know, one part, not scientist, but one part or two parts, Charlie Rose, you know, in terms of, in terms of interviewing and then maybe we're, like a small piece of Joe Rogan. It's really hard to put well, a brand You're on. an incredible investigator. Um, Thank you. I, I would say. And then, but I mean, you do half, your, I don't know if it's half your shows, but you do your Friday feedback. Uh, yeah. Feedback Friday. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. just you. I mean, that is just you. That's people hearing a, you know, here's a question that somebody put in and you being able to impart what you've learned 
to them and people are obviously tuning into into droves, which is interesting. Yeah. So you don't bill yourself as personal development, self-help, whatnot. But then, yeah, even in the intro to your shows, you say, look, here's, we're going to hear what these people did. I investigated, I'm going to pull out the, the, the gold of what they did and help you apply it to your life. So whether or not that's labeled as personal development, you're helping a lot of people. And that's what the testimonials that come to the reviews you get to your show are about. And I mean, last we talked too, I think you had a book in the works. Uh, no, no, no? I, I've actually passed on that. Yeah, Have this really? year, yeah, this year in the past year, or sorry, in the past year, I, I meant to say, yeah. what I've, I've done is decided that I really want simplicity. Okay. And did I, I didn't, did I, we didn't just talk about this, did we? I'm starting to have brain fart. I got dad brain. That's the problem. <laughs> you just keep talking. If I've um, heard it, they haven't. Okay, cool. So I decided on simplicity and it usually it dovetails with the social media thing. Hence, hence me asking, but yeah. I look at Instagram and I'm like, D- it's kind of like the Marie Kondo. Does this bring me joy? You know, the thing you pull out of your closet or whatever. And I look at social media and I go, no, right. but I still like interacting with my fans. So I answer DMS. Okay. Um, all right. Well, why don't you write a book? We're going to give you a million bucks. Okay. But also it's going to kind of take over my year. And then I've got to spend like the next five years promoting it. And I got to worry if I sell enough copies to make the publisher happy. And I got to invest all this time and I got to hire these people to help out with it. And then I got to co-write the thing. Or I just kind of keep doing what I'm doing and I'm making plenty of dough and it's all fine. And it's like, so the selling point is just that I'll get more money. All right that I don't need right now. Why? I don't, and it's just kind of a hard trade. I don't really want to do that. I just, I'm not crazy about the idea. I was talking with Ryan holiday, my friend, Ryan holiday, who's written like 14 books or 28 books. What do I know? And it's, you know, he's a smart guy. And I said, you know, am I crazy? And he goes, no, uh, there was a time when people only wrote books when they had something to say. Now, everyone has a book because it's part of your brand and all this other nonsense, but those books are terrible and should never have been written. And I'm like, that's, that's the opinion I was trying to articulate the whole time. I don't need a book about how you started a beverage company. Cause I don't care, you know, and no one actually cares. I know that you're going to make your employees buy this book or you're going to buy it for them as a company. And then you're going to hit the list and then go around stroking your own ego on different media because your book hit the list. But it's, kind of just a vanity project for the CEO of your coconut water company or whatever the heck. Right. And I thought, do I need that? Do I need that to market myself? I don't really need it. And you know, I'm going to save a tree here. And when I have something to say, then I'll write a book, but I'm not going to do it because it's a checkbox on the personal branding checklist for internet marketer, you know, influencer wannabes. And you could stay right where you are. You're, you're doing well now. Things are good. You can coast. You, you want to simplify. What is the future hold and why? I mean, the reason that now I am doing, I'm, I'm growing the show, the Jordan Harbinger show. I'm growing that because it buys me freedom. Does that make sense? So like if I grow the show I now and I, let's say I double the size in the next two years, three years, then in, and then I do it again. Right. So now, now it's four times the size and it's, it's been, I don't know, let's say five, six years. That means I can work 25% as much and earn 
just as much as I'm making now, mm-hmm. or I can work half as much and earn twice as much as I'm earning now, right? So th- th- then it becomes my choice. And what I see with a lot of other people when they're creating businesses is they go, okay, we have our app, we have our books, we have our training company, we have our podcast, we have our social media stuff. And they're scaling up, but their workload scales up too. So then their kids are 12 and they're like, dad, let's go do something fun. And they're like, great, we can do that four days a year when I take my time off. And if there's no emergencies, because I'm creating this great life for you so that we can have a boat and go to, you can go to a fancy private school and we can have a house in the Hamptons. And I'm thinking these people need money because they have golden handcuffs on. They there's very few, let's say, big law law firm partners can say, "Hey guys, I gotta work half as much this year. I, I need to actually I need to work half as much for the next five years because my kids miss me." You're fired. <laughs> that's what that's what happens then, or it's impossible to do. Right? It's just not going to work. Whereas I'm in a position where I can sort of design my own lifestyle right now. So I'm scaling the show as big as I can because it allows me freedom later on. You know, if I wanted to work half as much right now, I'd get half the income and that's fine. But creating a great podcast, creating an episode of the Jordan Harbinger show, it's as much work as it is now to create for X number of people. Me spending the amount of time on each show, you know, I spend like 10, 15 hours on prep and then I got to do the interview and my team has to edit it. If 10 people listen to it, it's the exact same amount of effort that I put in for them as if 10 million people right. listen to it because I'm not doing extra work for that extra audience. So I'm doing things that scale, right? I don't have 17 projects. I'm just focused on the one thing. And that way my workload doesn't scale, but my income scales. And yeah. that's great. I think they call that like a flywheel. Is that the business term? Sounds good. For, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Where it's sort of like you've got momentum. Yeah. And the momentum keeps things going, even if you stop or slow down. So, you know, if my kid says, hey, dad, you know, let's say in a few years, my kid is at a really fun age and he actually, you know, that age where they still like you, Mm -hmm. but they're old enough to be interesting and they don't need like their diapers changed, but Mm -hmm. they maybe want to go with you to Africa and Disneyland and do all kinds of interesting things before they go off to college and think that you're a dork or before that they think you're a dork, I assume. And there, you know, I, I want to be poised to take full advantage of that time and not go, ah, well, I've got all this work to do. To me, it's just not worth it. You know, I, my dad worked a lot yeah, and he missed a lot of stuff. Not like, oh, my dad's not at my graduation because he doesn't care. It wasn't anything like that. It was just like, we didn't go on many vacations because he was busy and he was working all the time. And then by the time he retired, he retired early because he'd saved so much money and invested so well. But it was like 1997. And I was like, cool, I'm going to Germany. See you guys later. And then I was off to college. And he's like, now, of course, he's he's got all this money. And he's like, hey, we want to do this and we want to do that. We want to do this for you. And we're going to invest in that. And I'm like, you know, imagine if you'd worked less. Mm-hmm. We would have done all this stuff in the 90s. That would have been super fun. Mom could have retired early from her super stressful situation. And then you wouldn't just die with a bunch of money, you know? And they're like, yeah, we really regret. We worked way too hard, but we weren't sure what was going to happen. So it's not a regret really because they don't know what was going to happen. But 2020 hindsight, now they're, they make jokes all the time. Like, 
hey, well, you know, let's get the lobster because it's your inheritance anyways. And I, you know, they make those jokes, but it's, it's not really that far off. They, they traded their young years and my years as a teenager living at home so that they could earn an extra, I don't know, a thousand bucks a month or something in, in overtime. And in return, I never saw for years. I, I saw them rarely, um, dip, you know, not like they were never around, but I was home alone till five thirty. Then my mom came home. Then my dad came home at seven thirty or whatever. And then if he was around on weekends, I was a teenager. I didn't want to hang out, you know. So that whole gap where we had time, I was just on the internet, as we discussed previously in the show. And I'm like, that's not healthy, you know. My kid, I my kids, I want to spend a ton of time with them while they are willing to do that. Because yeah. once they get older and they have their own thing going on. Who knows? Maybe then I can scale up more or maybe I won't want to and I'll just totally retire. But I want the option. Hey, man, I was mid 30s. And what we did to buy our land and build our house and have that for the kids now before they were too yeah. old was paramount. And this last weekend, uh, little my little boy, my youngest, uh, he's turned 11. And what he wanted was time with dad. And we took off for three days in a cabin and skiing. And uh, it was mm-hmm. It was priceless. My wife this week, Jordan, uh, it's just, it's, it's inspiring to hear you say that confirming, I I should say, but Mm -hmm. she said, I'm so grateful you have the work that you do. So what you're talking about, I I hope people hear uh, the depth of that. Jaden's got a lot to look forward to with you doing this. Uh, You know, one, one more question for you. You know, Mm -hmm. as you look at this show, you have a huge show, you have a hit show, uh, there's nobody that doesn't want to be on your show. You just rattled off a list of VIP names, and yet you choose who is going to be on there. And is it, I'm going to ask and assume that it is one, it's the people that interest you. And two, from what I hear and experience of you, it they embody things that you want to share with other people. Sure. And how are you? how are you filtering for that? Or is there a when you look at the interviewees that you must be dramatic, I'm inundated. You've got to be 50 times. I don't know how you, you got to have a staff that just looks through them or you just go hand pick them and don't pay attention to them. I don't, I don't know, but yeah, how do you, much. well, so how I, are you filtering yeah. and say, this is the spirit that I'm looking for. I look for something that I'm personally interested in for any reason. And then the second question is, is there value there for the audience Yeah. or is it just too far off the mark? You know, is it, is it just something zany that isn't really going to land? And then I run it by my product production team and they have to kind of share some of the opinion. You know, they don't have to be like super interested in the topic, but they should say, oh yeah, I could see that being good. Or that is kind of interesting. Or I wonder about this, but if they just go, I don't know, it just sort of sounds like the same old whatever. Or if it sounds like pseudoscience or a lie, you know, we just pass. I got pitched the other day for like, do you know about, you know about this, right? The secret or whatever, where it's like, just imagine it, it'll come true. And mm-hmm. I'm like, this is the most toxic crap on the internet. So, you know, I pass on things like that really, really easily. Um, or anybody that sounds like they're just trying to become a personal brand and there's nothing else there. Yeah. I pass on that. And there's, there's some stuff I'm just not interested in at all. You know, I, earlier this morning, I don't want to say who it is, obviously, so I'm going to be as generic as possible, but it's like, this guy took a marketing company from his garage to a $3 million, and I'm just thinking, this is so generic and so not that impressive, but a publicist sat there and crafted 
just tried to make it into something. And I'm just, you know, I, I will pass on all of that because that's the majority of what's in the inbox, you know, and, and so it really does just, that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm so able to, to keep up the pace that I am with three shows a week is because I'm only talking about things that I'm interested in. And I find that those don't feel like work, you know, reading that book doesn't feel like work, uh, preparing the research doesn't feel like work. It, doing the conversation doesn't really feel like work when it really feels like work is when it's, I find myself doing something like I'm, I'm trying to make it interesting when it's not exactly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, and that's what, that's when it's like, Oh my God, I need a vacation. Yeah. Hey, you do an incredible job. Again, you've been an inspiration to me in this. I've looked at what you do and how you do, but from day one, I just appreciate the spirit that you do come at it with, that here's something of interest that I can impart. And I love seeing the testimonials that I've seen on, on iTunes on your show. I'm happy to uh, talk about you, which I do so often and promote Thank you. your show. Thanks for giving a little bit behind the scenes as to sure. why you have done some of what you have done. I appreciate the time and just appreciate you uh, giving the gift of your Absolutely, man. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for joining me on this journey to elevate our experience and improve the way we show up for others. Again, I would check out on whatever podcast platform you're listening to right now, The Jordan Harbinger Show. Uh, I think he just had Esther Perel on his last show, and I'm, I'm sure it's an incredible, insightful show that I'll want to check out as well. If you appreciate this podcast, want to share it with others, give us a rating on Spotify, if you would, and leave a review in Apple Podcast. You can subscribe on YouTube and see all the episodes. You can also find clips and reels of all these shows on our social media everywhere. Just look for me at Kevin Miller CO. And if you want to learn how to master your own inner drive, get my book, What Drives You on Amazon. Until next time, stay driven. We have a lot of entrepreneurs in the What Drives You audience, so I've got a podcast for you, The Side Hustle Show with host Nick Loper. Nick showcases how you can make extra money through stories and ideas of regular people who made it happen, and that's what I appreciate about the show. We so often hear about the unicorn ideas, and we don't hear the regular stories of regular people doing fairly regular things, like Shelly, who started a travel blog in 2020 and now brings in 50000 bucks a month, or Lenny, who started renting out mobility scooters makes three grand a month. You'll hear stories of people reviewing Amazon products, washing windows, and you'll find inspiration from something that can work for you while you keep your day job. Check out The Side Hustle Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app or at sidehustlenation.com. You can actually answer a few short multiple choice questions at hustle.show and get a personalized playlist of the episodes that'll be most relevant to you. The Side Hustle Show.